My guest today is actually a ghostwriter by trade. So you may be a little confused. Well, what does a ghostwriter have to say about data? And in fact, Teresa Edmund has some incredible insights about where we can use data most effectively in our content. And I learned a lot in this episode about the kinds of content we develop, how we need to plan our content, and how our data strategy, our marketing strategy, and our content strategies are all intertwined and they need to be developed together. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode about the power of data in our copy. Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, the podcast where we explore the human side of analytics to amplify the impact of nonprofits everywhere. With me, your host, Alexandra Mannerings. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Teresa Edmund. So I am going to let Teresa introduce herself. Hello, and thank you for having me, Alexandra. So I am a ghostwriter and content writer specializing in helping organizations and people tell their stories. Um, And I do this from my tiny house way out in the middle of nowhere. It's about 350 square feet. And I live there with two poodles and two cats and a man who does not like tiny house living. So so I rent an office so that I can come and write in peace. (laughs) That's what I do. I love it. That is amazing. So I know that we are very excited to be able to talk about how we bring data into the stories that we tell. And I think you bring a really great expertise because, again, people might say, well, wait, what does ghostwriting possibly have to do with data? But in fact, it has an incredible amount. And you have a ton of experience working specifically with nonprofits, but across all kinds of industries. And yes. so you're able to bring that insight across all those industries and in how we're able to more impactfully tell stories when we're able to incorporate data in the right way um, right. to those stories. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience with like helping people when you're doing your ghostwriting and content development for them. You know, how do you balance the data and the story? Well, the data should always support the story, but it can sometimes be the centerpiece. So if a not-for-profit is writing, say, um, a annual report or an annual presentation that they present to their donors and it's their main fundraising piece, Every story in there should use statistics in some way. Every story should use a, maybe pull out a specific piece of data, um, a person or a family that they supported. So instead of looking at the stories as individual pieces of a spreadsheet, what you do is you pull the information out and you weave a narrative around it. And that narrative is always heart-centered. And it's always centered toward your audience, toward your donors, not towards what you are doing. So, so if your donors are people who really like it whenever you know you do something with kids, then make most of your stories focus on that. And, and that's the most important part is just using your, your data in two ways, making sure it's the centerpiece and making sure that it is supporting the story. That's such a great point to bring up because we talk a lot like in dashboard development that a big point that gets missed is start with your end users, 
right? As data people, sometimes we can get a little bit caught up starting with the data and we get all excited about these questions and we forget that someone at the end is going to use this analysis for something. So actually you should start with them and only move on to the data part once you understand the problem that you're trying to solve. And you brought up a great point of who's the audience for this story. Right. And start with that and say, what matters to them? And then you can build a skeleton from your data. You build that framework from the data and you flesh it out with the narrative that brings it all together. And exactly. I, lo I love also what you said about, um, you know, that, that you, you shouldn't just like drop a bunch of random pieces of data. It's that they should all connect somehow. Like look at all of your different pieces of data. What's the full cohesive story that they bring together and, and tell? Yeah, it should all be supportive. You can't just randomly put a piece of information in there that's really powerful, but has nothing to do with the story. If it's that powerful, build an entire other story around it. And, and with the, the people making the end user the target, that's major. I mean, I see a lot of writers even who have a problem with that. They write something that appeals to them and that's not the point. So you really, 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 when you're doing this, have to make sure that that person is your focus. So what do they like? And it, that's why it's really important to understand your audience. Absolutely. And you also, I like that you mentioned that you might have different reports. So if you've got this great fact that you're like, this is the best fact ever, but it doesn't fit in your annual report, there should be a different report for it, right? So don't make right. one report that's meant to serve everybody. You need to have a board-specific report with board-specific data and maybe a funder. You know, if you're trying to apply for a grant, there's going to be a specific set of data and a specific story for that funder. And then maybe your public web page is going to have a third story. So that's a really right. good point that, that both narrative and data need to be audience-specific. They do. And you can do it in different forms. So you might have your annual report, parts of that you might even be able to pull out and flesh out into blog posts or make videos, post them on YouTube, you know, put them on your website or even send them out to your email list. It's a powerful way. You should always reuse all of your, your narratives every single time. They should be used like five different ways. Break them down into social media posts, blow them up into full-length feature, you know, movies, whatever you want to do, as long as it speaks to your audience. There are endless ways to reuse your data. Yeah, and I like that, you know, you might have this big piece and you're breaking it up, but you're still being attentive to the audience that you're going to share that little piece with just as much as you were with the big piece. And the little piece is sort of just a microcosm of the big one. The little piece is still a piece of data with a narrative. Exactly. Just that the bigger one was lots of pieces of data with a longer narrative. So you still right. have the same components, whether you're doing a tweet or you're writing your annual board report. So that is that is really good. Now, where do you see most often the organizations that you work with kind of miss the mark when they're trying to do this? Where do they make the biggest mistakes, do you think? They'll try to put too much information in. So be selective, highlight specific things. Um, even if you have 100 stories that are all the same, pick one or two and really highlight those. Uh, you can save the others for later. That's a big thing. Uh, another area is not being heart-centered enough. You really, really need to tug on those heartstrings. Be as touchy-feely as you can without going above board. Be honest. Be transparent. Uh, your audience often likes to see behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talk about a specific staff member who goes above and beyond and helps out at one of your events and how they impacted someone's life. So things like that really make a big difference. And a lot of organizations just don't do that. 
And I like also what you're saying that sort of the data are going to, when we talk about building that structure, and then your narrative can call out an example of that data. So if we said, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a data point about behind the scenes. If you talk about how many of something you did, right? So you have a data point that's saying we hosted 22 events, and then your narrative can call out on this event, you know, Sally did this thing, and it helps right. humanize the data point that you were able to share. But you, you have to have both. If just yes. talking about how great Sally was is not going to be as impactful without having that that data behind it to show really how right. that is. And that's a really good example of the data reinforcing the narrative. Now, another thing that we talked about a little bit with, um, you know, we're talking now your end product. So you're at your the end of, of your year, you're trying to put together that final board report or you're writing up your blog post about the event or you're going to tweet out and you want that data point. Is, is when you're sitting down to write that content, when you should be thinking about the data that you need? No, <laughs> you should always plan ahead. I recommend that not-for-profits especially um, have a year's worth of content planned. So at the beginning of the year, or at least quarterly, but at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the quarter, sit down and look at all of your events that are coming up and then make a plan about what you're going to write about each of those events. So, you know, I have four blog posts this month, but we have an event at the end of the month. So let's build up interest in that event. Uh, or I have an event at the beginning of this month or a big event like Christmas, you know, you just plan your, your content around the holidays, around the major events or around a major fundraising push. And that helps you iron out all of your content for the year. Then there's no, what should we post this week? There is no, um, and, you know, I, I need to support this. I don't have a story. So you know ahead of time, hey, guys, you know, in November, we're going to be doing a Thanksgiving focused story. I need you guys to be watching for this specific piece of data. And then let me know when you get it. Let's find a story to support it. And then let's write that. Right. Or in the case that you need to set up the data collection in order. To yes. That, right. So if you know you're going to be reporting, you know, for Christmas for this fundraising push on something like a program or an outcome, then you need to, if you think, if you're thinking about that at the beginning of the year, you can make sure that when that program happens, your data collection is set up properly. There's nothing worse than being like, okay, I'm writing about this event. How many people did we have attend? And for some reason, you know, that didn't get tracked. Or if you want to know, right. usually you're going to track how many people attended, but maybe you wanted to know how many people from this place attended. And maybe that yes. piece of information wasn't on the registration form and now you won't know. Um, so thinking about it beforehand, think about your content and understanding the data that you would need. It's just as important when you're building a program evaluation and you exactly. need to know ahead of time what data you need to evaluate the program at the end. Exactly. I had one event and it's a yearly event for this organization and they, they always tracked attendance, but they didn't. There were a bunch of little satellite situations that were happening within the event. So there were free haircuts, there was free medical care, free dental screenings. Uh, they gave away food to families. So I was like, you need numbers for all of those. You need a staff member keeping track of you know, how many kids got haircuts for free, because that's an awesome story. You know, how many families came through and got food. And once they started tracking all of that, the next year we had so much information and it was wonderful. Well, and, and you make up you make a good point that having that detailed information helps you with your story, but it mm -hmm. also helps you with your operation, 
right? If you find out that twice as many kids than adults are getting haircuts, like maybe next year you'll have someone who specializes in kids' haircuts, you know, right. or if you find out you're talking about it's really important that you make people feel special. If you notice, you know, that a certain group who had a certain way of, of being helped when they were coming for food are more likely to come the next year or whatever it might be, because maybe year to year you track how many repeat visits you have and you're able to link that information. It becomes incredible for your narratives, but it's also the same information to help you improve what you offer and do do better with what you're trying to do. Exactly. That same situation. They had men and children getting haircuts, but obviously none of the women did. What they did is uh, the next year they had events specific for the women. They had beauticians come in and set up pedicure stations. They had um, chair massages. So ways that the moms could relax while the dads and the kids had their own events going on. And, you know, if they hadn't been tracking that data, they would not have known that they were missing a whole section of the population there. That's amazing. So they got great data to tell a more detailed story and they got data that helped them change how they offer their services for the better. Yes. I know we talked about this and we've been sort of touching about lots of different ways that we can write about or use data, but there's different kinds of content and copy, right? You talked about this and this is actually helpful for me to think about. So let's start with like, what's the difference between content? What's the difference between copy and how does data relate differently to those two different pieces? Okay. So copy is action related. Whenever you write copy, you are asking your audience to do something, to give a donation, to um, spread the word about your event, to come and volunteer. When you do that, you're doing copy. It's persuasive. It really hits on a specific subject and it's very, very specific. So you can use data to reinforce that, but the data is not the point. The point is inciting them to action every single time. Content, on the other hand, builds a relationship. So you are educating them, informing them, you're entertaining them. Uh, Sometimes you want to make them cry. But what you're doing in that is you're deepening your relationship with the audience so that when you send out that copy-driven newsletter about we need volunteers next weekend, then your people are like, I love them. I've got to go do that. So that it's two completely different purposes. Sometimes your content related pieces like a newsletter or an email or a blog post will have a line or two of copy at the end, but it's the primary purpose of the piece that matters. And, and I think the, this was what was so helpful of you educating me about the difference between those is that content is where you're going to be able to weave in all those different data points. And you're going to tell that narrative. If you've got two sentences to convince somebody like click this bright orange button you're not really going to have a place where you're going to be building up this, you know, data-driven argument at that point. Like you said, the relationship needs to be built before you're trying to put in that copy to have them take an action. Like maybe, maybe you would have a single data point, right? 500,000 children are going hungry or whatever that might be, but you don't have that whole data-rich narrative in copy, whereas you do with content. Right. And copy, like I said, it's one or two hard hitting points. Last year, we served 50,000 people Thanksgiving meals. This year, we want to do 100,000. Can you help us meet our goal by giving? So it's very specific. It's very to the point. Those numbers are always just to make a point. Right. And you might sort of have your stock set of points that you're going to be using in your copy, whereas your contents where you're going to really be diving in and think like we were just talking about developing both your content and your data plan you're not really having to necessarily develop your 
copy plan. You're developing your content plan and your copy will kind of fork off of that. It's going to be the little branches of, okay, now take action. Now join us for this. Now volunteer for that. Right. Now, the one exception to that is, is if you have a content heavy campaign that has copy at the end. So you're doing a video series about what you're doing. Uh, It might be, let's say, teaching inner city children uh, higher literacy skills. So you might have videos of your your volunteers out there reading with the kids, you know, the mobile library that you've managed to raise funds for. You have all of these videos that show you on the ground doing the work. Then at the end, you have that one little one to two minute section that's like, we need your help to do more. And then you have copy come in. So you have all of that content and the data at the beginning but you end with just that little hard hitting piece of copy. So sometimes they can weave together, but still yet put most of the data in the content and just a few vital pieces in the copy. Right. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. And so I, you know, I guess I was a little bit flippant of, you don't have to schedule your copy, but you do need to think about your content building to those asks. And again, that goes back to why you need to plan this and not just necessarily wing it. Because again, also, if you know at the end, this is the ask we want to make as you build both that content and data plan in conjunction, you can think about what is that really compelling piece of information that we're going to use as part of our ask and make sure that the, the content is developing the data behind that ask. That's an excellent point too. your content plan that you need to set out every year is part of your larger marketing plan. So you need to have that entire marketing plan. These are the fundraising drives, the ads, the whatever we're going to run. And your content needs to support that along the way or build to it. So you, you can't do one without doing the other. So you need your marketing plan. You need your content plan. They have to tie together. And you should be as specific as possible about the types of content you're going to create and the different mediums you're going to use because you create slightly different content for each medium. And I would imagine that the kind of data that you're going to share will also vary by that medium. You know, if you're doing a video versus a blog post versus a tweet, right, the amount of information and how you share that information is is going to change as well. Right. And, And another great place to put your data in your narrative is graphs. You can do a graph image for social media. You can include a graph image in your blog post um, or even in your video, have someone talk about it. Say, look at this, this is the difference. You know, in 2019, we served this many people. We doubled that in 2020 and we wanna double it again in 2021 and we're on, on target to do that. So using graphics that show your data but talking about them in a narrative is much more powerful than just putting the numbers in text. Well, and this brings up a good point as well. You know, I always talk about how important investing in analytics is. And I love that you're talking about being able to reuse your content, but you can reuse these analytics. And so therefore the investment that you put in to being able to create that chart or collect the data to be able to, you know, create a, a line graph, it's not just that one time you're going to use it. This could be something that you reuse and reuse and reuse in lots of different areas and in lots of different ways. So again, being strategic about the data collection, about your uh, content plan, about your marketing strategy, you know, putting all of that together, that's really critical. And it's funny because I've been very involved in developing data strategy and I've always said how important, right? Having a data strategy is what you're outlining is how all of these strategies are completely interlinked. You cannot develop one without full knowledge of the rest of them. 
Well, and just like data, content strategy is a long game. Copy is short. Copy is very short term. It's immediate action. I need you to do this by this date. Content, sometimes you'll talk to someone in a blog post or through videos for two years and they're there and they're loyal and you don't know that they're there. And then you have a big push or a big need or you finally hit that button that brings them into the fold, so to speak. And they're willing to just, they give big, you know, or they bring a whole group of people who give big. So content is never a short game and your content strategy should never be a short game. And you shouldn't say, oh, well, this isn't working unless it's truly not working. You need to make sure you're, you are tracking the correct metrics and make sure, you know, if you're having the page reads, but you're not getting a lot of content or comments, then maybe what you need to do is ask specific questions. What do you think about this? You know, how would you do it? Or maybe you're getting all kinds of comments on Instagram, but nothing on YouTube. What's the difference in your audiences in those two places? Are you speaking to the wrong audience on YouTube? So the metrics, the data in the writing matters just as much as what you're presenting. And you need to make sure that you're changing that up because your YouTube audience may be 30 to 50 year old men, while your Instagram audience is 25 to 35 year old women. You have to have different messages for both of those and you need to give them different data because the same data doesn't work for both. I love this. We have data and metadata. <laughs> and it's no, but it's great because data plays both of those roles, right? Data is going to be the the bones of your content. So you're going to have data about your organization and about the work that you do. And that's going to inform and construct the the content that you're building. But then you also need to be sort of drinking your own Kool-Aid and acting on data yourself, right? You need to be tracking data on on what you're doing to share that data information. So you brought up a great point of tracking your page views and, and, and the funnel, right? The tracking that journey of your users so that you can understand which audience you're speaking to, exactly. where you might be losing them and, and trying different things and seeing if those different things are actually creating different results down the road in getting people eventually to, to take the actions that, that you need them to take for your organization. Correct. I, I worked with a gentleman two years ago now. He was involved in a, a massive uh, open network AI project where they were taking all kinds of defining points about people. So what time the people got up, did they like to do laundry? Did they not like to? It was weird, abstract things. And from that, he was creating an AI driven consumer picture that organizations could use. So they would be able to look at everyone who was interacting with that organization and be able to tell them, okay, your people are mostly college students. They don't like getting anything first thing in the morning. And when they get things, they want it to look like this. So they were able to very much guide marketing from the data, massive amounts of data that were collected about people. And I believe that it's going more and more in that direction. And it's getting more, I mean, you can see it with Facebook, they track everything, uh, but it really that data matters in the small organizations as well, because if you truly don't understand who your audience is, you'll miss the mark every time with your content. I think conversely, once you get it right, you can replicate that. So if you find out that this particular 
type of audience responds the best to this and responds terribly to that, the next time you run into that, uh, that uh, type of audience, whether it's like on Instagram or YouTube or somewhere else, you'll kind of recognize, oh, I know that audience. I've spoken to them before this way. These kinds of exactly. things have worked. So I know to kind of try that again um, or conversely kind of avoid some of these things that haven't worked with that group in the past as well. Exactly. And if your Instagram audience starts gradually migrating over to YouTube, then you'll know, keep track of them, know what they're doing, see where they're responding. If they're clicking the link to watch the video more and more often, then maybe you need to tweak that YouTube content as well. So it really does matter. And it matters. It's not just something you measure once and you're done. No, it's constant. constant. Yeah, you're constantly keeping your finger on the pulse of, of those audiences and how they're changing. So that's great. So we've talked about how you can use data in different types of writing and different types of media, the way we can share it, things that we need to be tracking, um, and then how you also need to be tracking data about that content and about your, your media plan. And I, I love this idea of thinking kind of strategically as also, and also tangibly. So I was curious mm -hmm. sort of to wrap up, do you have an action or a suggestion that an organization could take to, to move their data-driven content a step in, the better, in a better direction? Start small, but start. If you have to do a simple poll on social media to say, hey, we want to know who you are. Can you answer this quick three minute, you know, survey or a one minute survey and then ask them their age, their location, uh, you know, how they identify gender wise and maybe one thing about what you do that's very specific to what you do. Start small, collect the data in some way and then go forth from there. But definitely develop a marketing plan that includes copy and content. I love that. Start small, but start. Yes. <laughs> I, I think on multiple podcasts, the, the phrase, the best time to collect data was 20 years ago. The next best yes. time to start is now. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and so you're so right. You know what? If you don't have any, that's fine. You can start small, but at least get started. And you can use data you didn't know you had. So if you have a volunteer list from the last three years, go look at who they are. What are they doing? Touch base with them. Ask them to fill out a survey. They already have a vested interest in you. Don't ignore them just because they haven't come back to volunteer again. So it's amazing the data you can mine by revisiting sources that you'd forgotten you had. No, and that you know poll question, that idea of just ask is great because I think sometimes we have a tendency to sit there and be like, what are they thinking? What are they doing? What are they? And you're like, well, ask, ask them. <laughs> They'll tell you. Here's the one thing I found out really early. I assume I know what my clients want and need. When it comes to content, I'm, I know what I want and, or I know what works, but I don't always know their wants and needs. So if I'm coaching someone, I've learned never to assume that, hey, we're starting at this level. I ask them and more than likely, they're like five steps back from where I thought they would be. So always, always, always ask your audience, involve them, get them answering questions as as much as possible. That's valuable, not only for your content, it builds your relationship with them and you can then tailor things to be more specific. People always feel more attached to things they feel like they helped build. Exactly. It's ownership and they want ownership of your organization and you want them to have it. So that's, believe it or not, you do want them to have it. You want every person in your audience to have ownership over what you do. Mm -hmm. 
And it's as true of, of like building a product or selling a service as it is of nonprofits and volunteering and, don and yes. donating. Um, and I think, you, you know, that idea is so great that poll that do a poll or do a survey because you'll get data that you can take action on and you engage them. So it's a win, 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 win. <laughs> Just keep yeah. And then, then you can create a piece of content about the poll. So, you know, last week we did a poll and we didn't, we couldn't believe our eyes, you know, we, we never knew that 60% of the people who came to us as women. So, hey, girls, you know, or ladies, what do you want to hear about? So don't just collect it. You need to act on it and create around it. That's perfect. I love it. I love it. We're, I'm going to put that on our show notes. Start small, but start. And here's how you can do it. Launch a poll, <laughs> launch a survey. You can do this today. And you're, you're <laughs> on your way to data-driven content. So thank you so much for your time today, Teresa. This has been an incredible conversation. I love it. Well, thank you for having me on here. I don't get to talk about data and writing very much. It's usually just writing. So this was, this was a great way to share that. Well, I know that you have shared some really great insights for our listeners, and I really hope that they take you up on, on your action challenge. All right. Thank you, Alexandra. You've been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Miraculous, an analytics, education, consulting, and data services company dedicated to helping nonprofits amplify their impact through data. Learn more at Marakinos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.